It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, here's some interesting cultural news. In and out the famous L.A.-based burger chain, is going to open a corporate headquarters in Tennessee. And this is considered such a big deal that the governor, Bill Lee, held a news conference to talk about how excited it's a special day and all of that. Uh, A lot of people online were excited about this. My state is finally getting in and out. Uh, People talking about how they wouldn't be able to resist and they put on a few pounds. Uh, But then somebody said, well... There goes the quality and the novelty of only getting it in California. Will it become just another McDonald's? Well, first of all, we're talking here about probably a handful of locations in Tennessee. Obviously, that could lead to a whole-scale invasion of the East Coast. Secondly, yeah, I I get it. Part of the allure is the mystique of it. Um, I had never tried it because I try to eat healthy, but... Finally, I gave in, and I got to tell you, I was underwhelmed. I mean, it's, you know, it's a good burger and everything. And it's a very short menu, like burgers, fries, shakes, okay. Um, so to me, it reminds me of, as anybody listens here knows, I grew up in Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? You know, and that's where I was from. And, and, and I wasn't that far, just a couple of subway stops from Coney Island. And Coney Island had Nathan's. Nathan's, the famous hot dog emporium, founded in, I think it's 1915. It's a block from the boardwalk and the beach. And it's a tough neighborhood. But, you know, we would always go there because the hot dogs are incredible. The French fries are the best on the planet. And there were a lot of other things there. You could get a lobster roll. There was a raw bar where you could get clams, oysters. Um, And so... The only two Nathans that existed, as far as I know, were the one in Coney Island, and there was another one, a little more sanitized with a big parking lot in Oceanside, Long Island. And now, when I fly around and I see a Nathan's, you know, stand in virtually every airport in America, you know, part of me thinks, well, this is really kind of cheap and did and it's not obviously the full experience, and the hot dogs may be great, but it's not, you, you know, you're getting a, a, a sliver of the menu. But on the other hand, who cares? I mean, this, if, if the company can make money and bring its signature dogs, Nathan Handworker, I think was the name of the guy who founded it. I was going to say Frankfurter. Um, then great, and more people can experience it. And if they don't like it, they don't have to buy it. So in and out Burger causing a bit of a stir because it might actually open a few stores on the East Coast. Uh, Sad to hear about the passing of Jeff Beck at the age of 78. You know, when uh, Christine McVie of uh, Fleetwood Mac passed away a few uh, weeks ago and I I called in uh, to Martha McCallum's show, the next time I saw her, I said, you know, you know, these aging rock stars, you know, the next time it happens, you you can call on me. Um, But the thing is, it's happening more and more frequently because obviously many of them are of the first generation of classic rock are reaching an age where they have health problems and some of them are moving on to the great rock and roll emporium in the sky. So Jeff Beck was just incredible, inventive and innovative guitarist. I mean, I was first familiar with him, although I don't think I knew his name at the outset because he was in the Yardbirds. 
Yardbirds were this 60s group that had a series of hits, you know, Tell Her No and um, other sort of zombie-type songs. It was really good for that era. And then Jeff Beck went on to form his own group, and, you know, a lot of people just loved his guitar playing. So I report that to you uh, as your classic rock correspondent. The uh, inflation rate for last month dropped to 6.5%. It had been... 7.1% in November. Now, 6.5% inflation is nothing to brag about. That's still pretty high. But it's been declining. I don't know if the Biden people are going to trot out the old, well, we said it would be transitory because it was high for a long time. Nonetheless, at least it seems to be going in the right direction. Uh, although inflation and gas prices seem to be a bigger story when they're going up. And when they're going down, people are like, yeah, well, okay, uh, what's playing at the movies, you know? So, and obviously in the midterm elections, the Republicans decided perfectly fair game that inflation was going to be a major issue because it was hurting a lot of families who were struggling to get by. But you also have this weird situation where unemployment is still pretty low by usual American standards. All right. Story number one, Joe Biden and the classified documents. And before I tell you the latest on this, I just got to say, having covered a lot of Washington scandals in my time, I cannot believe how badly they are handling this. This is not to say that this is some horrible infraction or it's exactly what Donald Trump did, and we'll get to that. I'm just saying the following. When you have, I mean, I covered the Clinton fundraising scandals, Lanny Davis was the point man on that. I've covered all kinds of other scandals involving presidents where the worst thing you can do is have the information dribble out. This is the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do, and there's now a, a special lawyer helping President Biden on this, and I'm sure, you know, subpoenas for Hunter, Bi Hunter Biden's uh, financial records and everything else that the House Republicans are going to throw at this administration. You get it out quickly, you make sure it's accurate, and you get it out so that you don't have the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh day story, which inevitably, invariably, indubitably erodes your credibility. Why would you want to have one detail at a time come out? And I say this because... What we knew up until midday yesterday was that somehow, when he left the office of vice president, there was an envelope that had about 10 classified documents we now know, discovered at what was Biden's sort of uh, office that he used infrequently when he was in D.C., at the Biden Penn Center, something he struck up with the University of Pennsylvania, and which I mentioned yesterday, you know, um, got a lot of donations from China. So the Biden people at least had the talking point to say, well, you know, this is totally different than Donald Trump because we discovered it, we voluntarily turned it over, we gave it to the archives, we're fully cooperating, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now it turns out NBC was the first to break this story that there's a second batch of classified documents. And this is exactly what you don't want because it makes it look like you can't get your story straight, you're hiding things, 
You're figuring it out on the run. But even though this was disclosed by a person familiar with the situation, somebody in Biden world, and as I say, NBC broke it, but it's been confirmed, you know, by the Washington Post, by the New York Times, and, and many others. We don't even know where the other documents were found. We know the first batch, as I said, the Biden Penn Center, the Penn Biden Center. This second batch, I mean, somebody knows, but they're not telling us. Why would you wait? Because late today, tomorrow, next week, it'll be, oh, here's a new story that everybody will chase. The second batch of documents was found at, you know, fill-in-the-blank location. However bad it is, maybe it was his Delaware beach house. I don't know. Get it out. Take the punch. Take the hit. And then move on. I cannot believe that they haven't figured this out. Now, uh, nor do we know what those other documents were or how many they were. So each little incremental development is going to be a new story. That's the way the media work. Wait, hold on now. As if to prove my point, I'm just seeing now a statement by the president's special counsel, Richard Sauber. that fills in a couple of these blanks. Talks about the second search. All but one of the documents, which had classified markings, were found in a storage space in the president's Wilmington residence garage. So they stuck it in the garage. One document, consisting of one page, was discovered among stored materials in an adjacent room. No documents found uh, at his house at Rehoboth Beach. So, And now it's all been turned over to DOJ. So why would you let an entire news cycle go by. NBC breaking this story late in the day. Everybody's jumping on it. I understand you don't want to rush something out that turns out to be wrong. But these people knew. So now it'll be breaking news. It was in the House. And also, after all the mockery of Donald Trump keeping things in an unsecured you know, storage area at Palm Beach... Now we've got Biden's own house, the garage. I mean, it looks just as sloppy. Again, we don't have the details of exactly what these documents are, how they got there. But with each passing revelation, it makes what Trump did, however skewed the comparison, more understandable. Well, I mean, Donald Trump was reckless, but Joe Biden, he was kind of sloppy too, huh? And that is in part because of the delay in getting out these details. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. So here's a New York Times write-up. President Biden's aides have found a new batch of classified documents, second such disclosure in three days, and it was sure to intensify Republican attacks. Well, yeah, when the former Republican president is under Justice Department investigation for his mishandling of classified 
that I, I'm sure it already has uh, triggered a lot of Republican attacks, but that kind of makes it sound like it's just a partisan game. Republicans reveled in the news disclosures, accusing Biden of hypocrisy and calling former President Trump irresponsible for hoarding sensitive documents at his private club and residence in Florida. It's true. I mean, Fox's Peter Ducey really got into it with Karine Jean-Pierre, reading back to her things that Biden had said about what Donald Trump did, which, yes, just to get it out of the way, far more documents involved, far less cooperation, whereas, you know, the Biden people found this, but still how, how it got there it remains to be seen, how it got to both of these locations. Um, you know, Trump uh, was subpoenaed, uh, turned over some documents, then turned over some more documents, then said, okay, that's it, we've given you everything, and then came the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, and a uh, hundred new classified documents turned up. So the, situ- the facts of each situation are not the same, but if you're going to have a president of the United States uh, say terrible things about the former president of the United States in his mishandling of classified documents, it's a losing argument politically. It's clearly complicated, uh, the Justice Department's task here. Uh, just looking at this story, look at all the holes in it. It's not clear when or where the records were recovered. Biden's aides have scoured various places since November when his lawyers discovered a handful of classified files, including briefing materials on foreign countries, as they closed a think tank office in Washington. Justice Department is reviewing the matter. So... Then comes the inevitable, but the circumstances of the two cases appear strikingly different. And, you know, it's certainly fair for journalists to point out the way in which the Trump situation is different in terms of volume, in terms of level of cooperation. But come on, for the average person sitting out there, they're going to say, oh, you know, politicians, they all do it. They all accuse the other one, and then they did the same thing. Merrick Garland, even though he's now turned this over to a Trump-appointed prosecutor, is, I, I, I say this without any fear of contradiction, he may decide to bring charges, he may not decide to bring charges. A lot of that may have to do with Jack Smith, the special counsel, who apparently has come on like gangbusters. And there's a piece, I believe also in the New York Times, that I just happened to glance at, that talked about, even though he is widely considered to be you know, very aggressive, he just moved back to the U.S., after being stationed in The Hague, where he was dealing with war crimes, that that some people find him, um, that he moves a little too quickly. It's the first criticism I've seen in that kind of outlet of Jack Smith. But we'll see what he comes up with. Nevertheless, the final decision belongs with Merrick Garland. You can't tell me that it is now easier, as opposed to harder, for Merrick Garland to decide to charge or not charge Donald Trump with, let's say it's obstruction of justice. You know, a lot of legal experts look to say it's a slam-dunk case. But then doesn't it look like a double standard, even though Biden cooperated? The underlying offense has to be pretty bad because you're talking about bringing criminal charges against a former president of the United States. And then you get into this, well, uh, Trump said that he could just declassify documents by thinking about them. There's no dispute that Biden, as VP did not have the authority to declassify documents, nor is he claiming that he did. But why is this story, you know, the the somewhat flimsy rationale is, well, 
Biden's lawyers have told him not to ask about it. I'm sorry. He's the president of the United States. He can put out as much information as he wants, even if it's just to defend himself about these documents, what he knows about how they got there. He said he was surprised. Um, what these documents pertain to, there's, there's briefing materials, apparently, according to one network about Ukraine and other countries. Biden doesn't have to sit back passively. He can tell us everything he knows or that his people have been willing to find out. And if that's self-serving, so be it, as long as he gets it out, as long as he's not holding anything back. And that's why I say, regardless, that Joe Biden has taken a political problem and made it worse. Story two, George Santos. And I would not want to be this guy's lawyer. Okay, this is just a ton of stories about him. Uh, um, Kevin McCarthy not taking any action against him right now. Actually, there's no action he could take since George Santos was elected, perhaps under false pretenses, by the people of that Long Island district. But he could call on him to step down. Or, you know, George Santos could resign and run in a special election as who he is and not the fake character he invented in any event. Washington Post, George Santos received payments as recently as April 2021 from a financial services company accused by the SEC of a classic Ponzi scheme. And this is according to court records. Santos did not divulge any income from the company, which is a Florida-based outfit called Harbor City Capital, on a financial disclosure form that all congressional candidates have to fill out. The payments that the lawyer, who's the court-appointed attorney reviewing the assets, described to the Washington Post, uh, says that weeks before registering a business called the DeVolder Organization, and DeVolder is another name that Santos used, um, he denied any knowledge of wrongdoing at Harbor City, telling the Daily Beast last year he was as distraught and disturbed as everyone else. He says he left Harbor City at the beginning of March of 2021, more than a month before the SEC filed its complaint. In that complaint, the SEC said that um, more than $17 million had been raised by deceiving investors into putting their money into unregistered fraudulent securities. All right, so let's give him the benefit of the doubt on that. He didn't know, and he left before this happened. New York Times. A month before George Santos was elected to Congress, one of his large donors received a call asking him to consider making another sizable contribution. Well, that's not unheard of. The request came from a Republican loyalist calling on behalf of Redstone Strategies. Described in an email to the donor, who they're hitting up for more money, as an independent expenditure group supporting Santos uh, in that congressional race. The group had already raised $800,000 and was seeking to raise another $700,000, according to this email reviewed by the New York Times. Well, the donor came through. Days later, he sent a $25,000 check to a Wells Fargo bank account belonging to Redstone Strategies. Now... What happened to that money? Oh, it's not clear, is it? FEC said it had no evidence that Redstone Strategies was even registered as a political group, which is a problem. There don't appear to be any records documenting its donors or its contributions or its spending, which is a problem. Santos and his lawyer refusing to answer questions about this. 
which by itself is a problem. See segment number one. Um, company website said Redstone was being run by experters in marketing and others in politics. Um, and yet the firm's work appears limited at times. Search of campaign finance records um, didn't turn up much on behalf of this group. It also shows a payment from a pack called Rise New York, run by Santos's sister, Tiffany. That group sent a $6,000 wire transfer last year to Redstone Strategies. Now, the donor said he was told by the person in Queens who approached him that the $25,000 he would give would be used for big ad buy. But the donor said he never heard anything back on how the money was spent. A review of spending by a company does not show this group making any ad buys on Santos's behalf. So what happened to the money? Okay, this is just the comic relief portion uh, because you had a bunch of uh, Republican officials on Nassau County, Long Island, coming out and urging Santos to resign. George Santos allegedly told a Republican official he was a star on the volleyball team in college. Now, the one problem with that anecdote, uh, he never went to that college. That was Brooke College. He said, I have a degree from Brooke College. He later admitted the New York Times exposed it. He, he didn't go to Brooke College. No record of him ever attending there. But he was a star volleyball player. He was really good at volleyball. Okay, uh, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, here's one of the, uh, oh, he's a Nassau County Republican chairman saying, he told me, I remember specifically, I'm into sports a little bit, that he was a star on the Brook volleyball team and that they won the league championship. Okay. Now, here's a piece in the New York Post. In March of 2020, right after the pandemic hit, Santos, who was then, I guess, gearing up for his uh, first run for Congress, told the Empire State Conservative podcast that he'd been taken to Elmhurst Hospital in an ambulance with COVID-19 symptoms. Unfortunately, on the 9th of March, I became symptomatic with what we all now know very well, COVID-19, commonly known as the Chinese flu. On the 11th, I ended up in the hospital. It was really bad, fever, body aches, you know, all the known symptoms there. Santos claimed the situation was especially dangerous because he had a pre-existing medical condition and was recovering from a brain tumor. I have an immunodeficiency. I have acute chronic bronchitis. I also battled a brain tumor a couple of years ago. Um, Okay, so... If all that is true, then obviously I feel some sympathy for the guy. Early case of COVID-19, covering from a brain tumor and all that. But who knows if it's true? Who knows if anything this guy says is true? He can't even tell the truth about volleyball. So there you have it. There's going to be a story every day, drip, drip, drip. And some of this stuff about... Ponzi schemes alleged and um, whether or not he got this money fairly and how he somehow loaned his own campaign $700,000. There's a lot more to come out here. Story number three. So I was grappling with this on the podcast yesterday, decided to make it into a column, which is up on uh, Fox Today. And it's about what a hall of mirrors the nation's capital has become. Because you go down the list And the Republicans at least say they see it one way, 
The Democrats say they see it another way. Republicans see accountability in government with their changes to the House rules and no more, you know, last-minute bills that are worth a couple trillion dollars and nobody has time to read. The Democrats see them as overreaching and also harassing federal officials for doing their job. This is the so-called investigating the investigators part of the Republican agenda, which consists of the power to ask not only for classified information, but for information from ongoing Justice Department criminal investigations, which, as I told you yesterday, is going to be a big battle. Understandably so. George Santos is another example where there's a completely different view. Although, in fairness, some Republicans, particularly in his Long Island district, want this guy gone. He's an embarrassment in their view. And then, of course, there's the classified documents uh, business. So this is the reality now in Kevin McCarthy's Washington. And by the way, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the power to expel him, uh, Santos, but he could take him off committees. Instead, he said he will put him on committees, but not important committees. Um, One of my key takeaways here is that the media have lost their ability to play the role of honest referee. Certainly, the conservatives would not trust the media for, I don't know, three decades. And a lot of Democrats are fed up with the media as well, particularly when they feel like the press is being too hard on their guy, President Biden, previously candidate Biden, in a way that they see as a kind of a false equivalence. So what comes it comes down to is what's your view of government? Should there be, should Congress have the ability, and look, after all the things that the House Democratic Control January 6th Committee did, The Dems are not in a real great position to object, but, you know, should they be able to look into whether the FBI has gone too far? There have been FBI scandals in the past. You know, in fact, if you go back to the, what's called the Church Committee, because it was chaired by Democratic Senator Frank Church, um, there's been a lot of past investigations of FBI abuses when the FBI abuses were aimed at Martin Luther King or... Others targets that the liberals thought were fair. Now that the question is, did the FBI use its authority to start the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation? You heard plenty about that. Or even on some of what we're talking about here with looking at how the January 6th committee did its job. So Jim Jordan is going to run judiciary. Somebody else will be the head of this special subcommittee. Jordan's saying on the House floor, we don't want to go after anyone. We just want it to stop. He says this is in defense of the First Amendment and that conservatives have been unfairly targeted. That is seen as a joke by the Democrats. And so you just have this sort of parallel universe where nobody can agree on anything. Take the IRS, which I went into in some detail yesterday. Republicans are going to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents that... Joe Biden wants to come and bang, beat down your door. Well, first of all, Biden has said that most of those won't be agents. A lot of them are just staffers. The total number will go down. And supposedly the marching orders from the Biden administration are not to go after anybody who earns less than $400,000 a year. 
But otherwise, and this is becoming the new Biden talking point, if you're letting the fat cats off the hook, if they're not paying their fair share because you're muzzling or um, otherwise constraining the Internal Revenue Service, and now, right now there are reports, there are proposals, I should say, to abolish the IRS and go to a flat tax. I mean, I always love this. It's been tried in Europe. Depending on your point of view, it's had, it's had no success. It's had mixed success. But there you have it. We can't even agree on whether the IRS, I mean, it's an unpopular agency. Nobody wants to be audited. But at the same time, this whole thing is kind of kabuki theater. And this will be true of almost everything that the Democratic, excuse me, that the Republican House passes. Because the Democrats control the Senate, because the Democrats control the White House, nothing is going to get through that the three branches, or I should say the two houses of Congress and the president's office agree on. There'll be a lot of messaging bills. And I, I say this every time. The Democrats did the same thing when they only controlled the House. But what's troubling to me is that you've got this sort of rhetorical war going on for a bunch of stuff that's not going to pass in the sense of achieve final passage. There'll be a lot of investigations. And look, maybe there should have been already been an investigation of why this Hunter Biden probe has taken so long. You know, it's the U.S. attorney in Delaware that has charge of it. I mean, charge the guy or close the case. It can't go on forever. And if he's charged, it'll be an embarrassment to President Biden. No question about it. And there'll be inevitable questions. There already are about did Joe Biden do any favors for Hunter Biden, whether it's giving him a ride on Air Force Two or anything else when Hunter was in his mode of trying to make a lot of money overseas. I call it buck raking. Burisma from China. There's a lot of unanswered questions here that go beyond the, the gross and stuff that nobody wants to see or hear about, about Hunter Biden's drug addiction or his private parts, or anything else. So very different worldview, and some of this is going to be fought out on legitimate grounds, and some of this is just going to be fought out in the world of political spin. And there's always been political spin. I mean, my book about the Clinton White House is called Spin Cycle. We use that on, on my show, Spin Cycle, because, you know, your head's going around and around. But it used to be that the media had some minimal role as a fair referee of the basic facts. No more. That era is gone. A lot of people on the right think the fact checkers are just sort of in the tank. But a lot of them agree on this IRS business. Anyway, hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Let's move on to story number four. Uh, turns out, you know, we've all now seen the pictures during the House speakership battle of different members losing their temper, getting somebody's face, having to be restrained in the case of Mike Rogers from punching somebody. So the co-CEO of C-SPAN, Susan Swain, has now written a letter saying we would like to have a few additional cameras in the House chamber and we would like to control them so that the American public can see what actually goes on in the people's house. The thing is, once the house was sworn into existence for the 118th Congress, 
a lot of the control reverted to the government. And they can just, you know, insist on these wide shots that show nothing. There are a couple of Republican members, Matt Gates among them, I believe, who also think it's a good idea to let C-SPAN control the cameras. And we got, you know, a real-world example of what that's like. Also, in the media world, CNN has done a bit of a shakeup of its uh, daytime lineup. I talked yesterday about how the network uh, was going to possibly not have as many anchor desks, so the newsroom was going to be the center of attention and how that had been tried before. And, it's, you know, you try different things. You come in, you're the new boss, you hire some people, and you say, let's get rid of all the anchor desks. Or, like, nobody should wear ties. We'll all wear sweaters. I actually had somebody suggest that earlier in my career. So, under the new lineup, from 9 to 12 Eastern, John Berman, Kate Baldwin, and Sarah Sidner will be anchoring. From 1 to 4, the anchors will be Brianna Keeler, Boris Sanchez, and Jim Shudo. Uh, at noon Eastern, they'll still be uh, inside politics. So, one of the reasons you do this is because you have a bunch of anchors and you got to figure out what to do with them once you revamp the morning show. Another reason you do this is it's probably cheaper to do three-hour shows because you can have one staff for the three hours. Maybe you have to pay the anchors a little more, but you know the, the trend had been toward one- and two-hour shows, and each one has to have its own staff and its own executive producer and its own anchors. Well, since CNN is having some financial issues, this might be a way of... Um, spending a little less money. And story number five, and I think this is just beyond pathetic. Politico has parted ways, that's the most delicate way I can put it, with a reporter named Eric Geller after the death of Pope Benedict XVI. So you'll recall, obviously, that Pope Francis is the incumbent pontiff, if I can use that term, but Pope Benedict, who died last weekend, um, was living in a cottage near Francis and was the Pope Emeritus. Didn't play much of an active role. He had stepped down for health reasons. Anyway, when he died, this reporter, Geller, somehow thought it was a pretty good idea to not only tweet a link to a news story saying that he had died, but to say the following homophobic pedophile protector and Hitler youth alumnus dead at 95. Now, Politico spokesman Brad Dayspring has been quoted as saying the tweet is a clear violation of our social media policy and was both inaccurate and offensive. And here's what I don't get. Okay, so you, maybe you didn't like Pope Benedict. Maybe you thought he was didn't move fast enough or far enough on the church sexual abuse scandals, which, by the way, he inherited and had been going on for decades. Why would you choose the day that he dies to tweet out something? Yes, was he a member of the Hitler Youth? Yes, but we, we, to tweet out something that so many people would find offensive about a former leader of the Catholic Church. This is just a complete and utter lack of class. You know, if a week later you want to write a piece saying, you know, Benedict was bad for the church, fine. I'm not saying even when somebody dies, they should be immune from criticism. But that kind of trashy response, just unbelievable. And by the way, the Golden Globes um, didn't do that well in the ratings. Remember, they were uh, kicked off TV for a couple of years after a big controversy having to do with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. They were back. 
about 6 million viewers, uh, lowest ever. Look, I think all these award shows are taking a hit. I, I just think it's hard to put together an award show that is in, that is lively and that has funny comedians uh, and that still you know goes through all the categories that people want to see without putting people to sleep. So the good news for the Golden Globes is it was back on TV. The bad news is not that many people cared. Thanks for spending this time with me. You know, Amazon Music is also a place where you can get the podcast without any ads, but you can get it a whole bunch of places. And I know many of you already subscribe, and I appreciate it. So with that, have a great day. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.